Hey friends, welcome back to the journal feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and of course the greatest of emergency medicine. Now, we are here to keep you up on the literature, and to do that, I personally will spoon-feed it to you. Now, if you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so you will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only getting a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, all good articles. But if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you will have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org, and remember, we never want money to be a barrier to better patient care. So if you are having any trouble affording a subscription, reach out, and we'll help you out. Now, this is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by our authors, Jacob Athels, Amanda Matthews, Jason Lesnick, Christian Gerhalt, and Clay Smith. All right, let's get straight into the fourth article. Title, Accuracy of Physician Gestalt in Prediction of Significant Abdominal and Pelvic Injury in Adult Blunt Trauma Patients, out of the journal Academic Emergency Medicine. Last week, we talked about gestalt for pulmonary embolisms, and it was pretty good. How about for abdominal and pelvic injuries and blunt trauma? The decision rules for getting a CT abdomen pelvis are not great. So what we've got to rely on is, of course, gestalt. These authors wanted to see just how good that gestalt actually was. These authors did a prospective study from four trauma centers in adults over 15 years old who had blunt trauma and also had an abdo-pelvis CT ordered. They then asked the physician who ordered the scan how likely they thought it was that there would actually be a clinically significant injury found on the scan. They had to estimate the percentage chance that the patient had a positive scan. All the doctors who participated were emergency medicine staff, emergency medicine residents, and then some general surgery residents as well. They considered a reasonable miss rate to be 2% based on previous literature and a panel opinion. That seems pretty reasonable. We know that if you sometimes don't scan people, you don't miss that much per se, and these significant injuries tend to present later on without too much consequence. So I think this is fine. Overall, Physician Gestalt had an area under the receiver operating curve of 0.7. That's pretty good, but Gestalt didn't do all that well in the extremes of likelihood. Particularly, the miss rate just wasn't low enough. When physicians said there was less than a 2% probability of finding something significant on the scan, the real rate of significant injuries was 5.6%. This gives overall Gestalt a sensitivity of 95%, which is pretty good, but it's just not going to be good enough for this kind of thing. Now, the obvious limitation here is that these were just the people that had scans ordered. But if you ordered a scan and then you said to someone, hey, I think there's less than a 2% chance that I actually find something on the scan, then why did you order that test? And you know what? I'm not the only one who thought that. The authors also thought that. And they actually asked all these people who ordered the scans, why did you order the scan even though you thought it would be negative? The most common reason to order the scan was that there was a severe mechanism of action. This was 35% of the respondents. The next most likely was that it was part of the trauma protocol and that the physical exam is unreliable. After that, other reasons include medical legal concerns, still thinking that at least a 2% chance was a high enough chance that you should scan, and a desire to diagnose all the injuries, even if they were not significant. I actually like this study. It's fun. But if I'm scanning the head, neck, and chest of a patient, then you can bet I'm probably just going to scan the abdomen. 
Even if I'm just scanning the chest, ah, well, tell you what, I'm probably going to still scan the abdomen. Maybe if there was a reliable decision tool, this would change my mind, but I'll wait for that day to come. Inspunful Gestalt for abdominal pelvis injuries after blunt trauma is good enough that if you're ordering a scan, then you can trust that you made the right move. It's not good enough to not order that scan anymore, though. And then we have the fifth article titled Opioid Analgesia for Acute Low Back Pain and Neck Pain, the OPAL Trial, a randomized placebo-controlled trial out of The Lancet. Spine pain, most of us will have it at some point. It's a popular complaint to primary care and the emergency department because all of these lovely outpatients just want relief. Fortunately for our patients, most of these pains are just non-specific pains, which while very annoying and painful, do not result in any dangerous pathologies. For years now, the advice has been to refrain from giving opioid analgesics to these patients. They have not been shown to be helpful. But no one had actually done a proper RCT on comparing opioids to placebo. Thankfully, a group out of Sydney has done just that. The trial was done in 156 primary care clinics and emergency departments, as well as recruiting a few patients over social media. Everyone had to have had back pain or neck pain for no more than 12 weeks, and it had to be of moderate to severe intensity. They recruited 347 patients to be randomized to opioids, extended release oxycodone with naloxone in order to minimize the amount of constipation, or placebo for a maximum of six weeks. All patients also received guideline care of being told to keep active, and they could also use NSAIDs as necessary, though only about 40% of each group actually used any NSAIDs. The primary outcome was pain at six weeks, which was not significantly different between opioids and placebo, decreasing by 2.78 and 2.25 points respectively on a 10-point scale. Opioids did not increase function, did not better the quality of life, did not decrease recovery time, did not decrease absenteeism, or even decrease healthcare utilization. By one year later, the opioid group actually had slightly more pain, and they were at higher risk for opioid misuse compared to the placebo group. All the little adverse effects were similar between the groups. So, this furthers what was already a strong conviction that even short courses of opioids are not the ideal treatment for low back pain. So don't send your patients home with opioids, no matter how tempting. Though there were some limitations. Keep in mind that patients who were scheduled for surgery or who had already taken significant opioids for their back pain were excluded. Also, only 25% of the patients screened were actually included in the study. So there could certainly be some room for some bias introduced there, and it doesn't necessarily apply to all comers. All the same, I agree with the conclusion not to give opioids. And I hope that most people are already not doing this. The guidelines are pretty clear that opioids just are not the answer. But what this trial doesn't answer is how about ultra-short courses of opioids? You know, just not sending anyone home with opioids or anything, but just giving just enough opioids to get them comfortable in the emergency department, get them comfortable enough to go home so they can mobilize and use NSAIDs at home. I'd like to see an RCT like that, please. In a spoonful, opioids did not outperform placebo for acute treatment of nonspecific low back pain or neck pain. Okay, that's everything that we have for this week. What did we learn? Let's do a quick wrap up. From the fourth article, trust your gut. If you ordered an abdomen pelvis CT for a blunt trauma patient, then even if you think there's no chance that it's going to be positive, you still probably did the right thing by ordering it because it certainly could be positive. 
And then from the last article, opioids did not outperform placebo to treat nonspecific low back pain, even for short courses in this RCT. Again, if you were handling this right now, then you are not part of the member's feed, and you missed three articles from this past week. From one article, we looked at the PenFast tool again and its ability to possibly rule out penicillin allergies before oral challenges. Then we looked at whether or not blood cultures actually have to be from veins. And finally, a big old spoonful review of Thyroid Storm. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. Our goal here is for you to read less, learn more, and save lives, one spoonful at a time.